Happy Father's Day. You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast. We love you, Father. And here is today's message. Well, I'm going to continue on the message that we've been talking about, about money, prosperity, provision, all the things. But today I'm going to talk about the spirit of poverty. And as I begin this, I, I want to... I want to talk just for a second about this because there is an enemy of our soul and God has placed promises in our life and the enemy will always try to come and, and, and come against it and stop it. I've been reading in Joshua lately, loving Joshua lately. And, uh, you know, Joshua was was given the promised land. He's like, you will go in and you will possess the land. And as Joshua began to go into the promised land, there was still battles to fight. The enemy still, as he went to go possess the land, there was still battles that would come and he would fight. And, and he had victory. God said, I will give you the land. Go in and fight. I will give you the land. Go in and fight. I will give you that land. And, and so they still went and fought. They didn't retreat because there was battles. And I feel like sometimes we, we, we either feel shame because there's battles. It's like, oh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe God's mad at me. That's why I'm being attacked. Or maybe I did something wrong. Maybe that's why there's an attack. Or maybe there's land that God wants you to possess and the enemy doesn't want you to have it. And so J Joshua would go in and, and he would win every single battle. But there was still an enemy that tried to stop the promise. And there are promises that God has for you in your life. Things that he's promised and the enemy tries to stop that. And so when I talk about the spirit of poverty, there's no shame if, if this rings like, hey, this sounds like me or hey, this seems true. Hey, hey I can actually, I, I, I can say that this is something that's attacking my life. There's no shame in that because you have the victory, you are an overcomer. We win this, but we recognize it. What happens, when, uh, what happens a lot of times when a spirit comes against you, you can fight it, but sometimes what, the battlefield's in your mind, right? So he begins to talk. And when we accept it as truth, it becomes what we live out of. And so it becomes our mentality. It becomes the way we think. And so a lot of times what happens is poverty, it becomes a mentality. It becomes the way we live from, from, from either thoughts that we've taken or circumstances that we've gone through, or sometimes it's generational. It's the way you grew up. Or sometimes it's the community you live in, what you're used to seeing. And it becomes the way you live. And I really believe that the Spirit of God is wanting to expose some things in our life because it's stopping us from getting the promise. So I'm going to start by saying, by laying a little bit of a groundwork, it's just poverty, poverty can come in many reasons, come for many reasons, but it shouldn't stay. It's not about how much money you earn. It's about how you think towards it. 
it's your mentality. A poverty spirit can affect an entire community, an entire culture, entire groups of people, or even generations. I think of my grandparents who went through the Great Depression. And, and they later on became more prosperous than when they were in the Great Depression, but they still lived, that whole generation still lived with that mentality of, of we gotta say, we gotta hold on to, we gotta keep because bad times may come. That's how it affected an entire generation of people. There's different communities because of different things that, that that city's gone through or different communities that have had hard things happen. It becomes the overarching way that that community um, operates. In fact, I'll tell you this. is I didn't want to preach this message. <laughs> I, I didn't want to. I thought, you know what? That's okay. I'm just going to skip past this. I don't really want to preach it. And uh, I'm going to move on to, to something else. And it's kind of how I was focusing. And of course, I don't know. You think you would learn. You just think you would learn. But you don't. And so, of course, I'm struggling with, with preparing the other message. It's not coming together. And I had a chiropractor appointment. So I was driving to the chiropractor. And I said, God, like, if you want me to preach the message, I will. He says, I want you to preach the message. And I don't really want to preach the message, though, God. Like, if there was a way we could skip past it. And uh, so he says, no, that's what I want you to preach. And he says, do you, do you know why you don't want to preach it? And I said, no. And he said, because the spirit of poverty is over Prince Albert. And it doesn't want you to preach it. And so I believe that God is wanting to set us free this morning. And so I want us to listen objectively. I know it's not a message that you would normally hear, but I want you to listen to objectively because I believe that, that there is, there's freedom today for it. So poverty always comes, along the si- comes alongside the spirit of fear. A poverty spirit means a lack of money or resources scarcity, inferiority, or poorness. Or it also means to be impoverished, okay? Which means to cause to become poor. In other words, it it comes against you so that you will become poor. Or it prevents something or someone from becoming fruitful. That no matter what you, you just you struggle with being fruitful you you, you struggle with it. maybe it's in all areas of your life maybe it's in some areas of your life but you have struggles with being fruitful so if you're living under a poverty spirit you are no longer producing good fruit from your life like god intended in genesis 1 it says god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over every living creature that moves on the ground. What does God say? Be fruitful and increase. Be fruitful and multiply. In John 15, 8, it says, When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to God. 
So God said to them in Genesis, I bless you. What do I bless you? I bless you so that you will be fruitful and that you will multiply. There is not, there should not be one area of your life, hear me, not one area of your life that God has his hand on, that God, that, that God has called you to, that you're under obedience to God. There's not one area of your life that you should wonder if I should be fruitful. Like maybe God just wants me to suffer in this area. Hogwash. What? Where did that word come from? Hogwash. <laughs> I like it. That, that's not there. God designed for fruit to come forth from you in every single area of your life. Here's another, here's another misconception. Jesus was not poor. Jesus was not poor. Jesus left his place to come down to be a servant, but he was not poor. Jesus, Jesus was taken care of. Jesus' needs were met by his father. He was not poor. So God designs for us to be fruitful. Poverty and lack is not a godly characteristic, even though some have believed that. The verse that says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor. And we're like, oh, the poor, that's where it's at. No, that's not what it means. It means blessed are those who recognize that they have an absolute need for the Father. That I am I, I absolutely, in every single moment of every single day, I need the Father. Poverty is both natural and spiritual, but it is an oppressive spirit. It's, it's oppressive. It, it, it's heavy. It stops you from advancing. It, it, it moves in to stop you from inheriting what God would want you to inherit, from moving into the promised land. Poverty takes your influence away. We're called to be influencers. In Ecclesiastes 9.16, it says, Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. God didn't design for that. It's not godly. It's not godly. So I'm going to talk about some characteristics of what a poverty mentality looks like. That, that it's a way of thinking. It's become our way of thinking. In other words, there may be some lies in our heart that, that has become our way of living. So number one, a deep-rooted sense of inferiority. It's a feeling that you have. You, you feel inferior to the people around you, you just don't feel like you quite measure up. And this comes from a lack of affirmation in your life growing up, or it's linked to judgments made by authority figures over you. Things like you will never have anything. Things said like you will never have anything, amount to anything. You're stupid. 
Your thoughts are stupid. You don't speak well. But that's a lie that is spoken. And God doesn't make anyone inferior to another. Number two, perceived inadequacy. You don't see yourself as a resource to help anyone or anything beyond yourself. You just, I don't got any, I don't got any good things to give. I got nothing. You say things like, I can't give. I can't love enough. I can't serve well. I can't build relationships. I have nothing worth offering to anyone. I don't feel I have the resources to share anything with anyone. I lack wisdom, all the things. I think of Mephibosheth. I think that's how you say his name. Mephibosheth, yes. I think of, I think of him. He was royalty. But then he was dropped. And then even when the king extended him to come to the table, he's like, I got it. I don't belong here. I don't, don't feel like I measure up. I don't know why I'm here. It's that, that sense of inferiority and inadequacy. Another, another characteristic is you have a restricted ability to advance materially. You just can't get ahead. You, you keep trying, you, you keep trying to get ahead, but you just can't get ahead. There are people, no matter what you give them, no matter what they touch, no matter what opportunities present themselves, they are unable to get ahead financially or just in life generally. Can't get ahead no matter what's been put in their hand. Poverty normalizes debt and lack. And it normalizes broke as being a way of life. It repels wealth. It repels promotion. It repels getting ahead. With poverty, you'll see e increase will come. You'll, uh, suddenly, all of a sudden, so increase will come. And you'll think, finally, okay, here we go. I'm going to get ahead. And then something will happen. Crisis will come and snatch it away. Poverty, it's a poverty spirit. You'll never take a risk. You'll find a, a problem with every opportunity and you become terrified of taking risks. And it's usually because you don't feel worthy of God's abundance. hoarding mentality you're driven to accumulate more than you need in the present for fear you will not have enough in the future the Israelites did this when when God said I'm gonna provide for you every single day you, you you will be fed you don't have to worry about it I'm gonna take care of you and he provided manna for them every day wake up food don't know where it came from but it came God provided but but then they be, they began hoarding it they would take it and save it. And God said, don't, don't save it. Every single day, I will provide for you. But they saved it, and it began to spoil.
but that came from a place of being fearful of the future. The poverty spirit is driven by fear. You can be poor, you can be rich, you can be middle of the road and still have this spirit. Hoarding can't let go even if you know it's going to a good use. You just can't do it. So what if one day? The, you are convinced that the biggest win is not to lose. So you take no risk, you won't put yourself out there, you won't even go after promotion. And it's usually because you think, again, you don't deserve it. You have insecurity regarding the future. You always have anxiety. Like I said before, poverty always comes alongside fear. You have a thought that something is always going to go wrong. Doomsday prepping. That's not right thinking. If God told us to occupy and to be fruitful and to multiply, do you think he shows up to find us hoarding or to find us occupying and being fruitful with what he's given us? If he says he will take care of us, he'll take care of us. Another characteristic is hopelessness. Hopelessness is not of God. He came to bring hope. The more present the spirit of poverty is in your life, the more limited capacity you have to see the future optimistically. I just can't see my way out of this. Why? It's an oppressive spirit. God said, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. To give you a future and a hope. You have a victim mentality. Which is another lie because you're more than a conqueror. But a victim mentality says, it's not my fault. I'm not responsible. It's not my choice. I shouldn't have to do anything. Someone else has to fix the problem. Somebody owes me because I'm a victim and you feel powerless. That's a lie. It's a lie because the Bible says you are more than a conqueror. You're not a victim. You're self-centered. You're selfish, you have self-pity, and you're self-conscious. You have an inability to give materially, emotionally, or spiritually. You buy what you want, but you beg for what you need. In other words, you, you, you spend on things that you want, but you can't afford to pay your bills. Jealousy. You're jealous of people who have more than you have. Just like the elder brother and the prodigal son who's jealous. You assign negative motives to people who are prosperous, famous, powerful. 
You have a sense of suspicion or foreboding. You always feel like something is about to go wrong. In fact, even when you have a good day, you're waiting for it to become a bad day. Shame. You live in shame. Guilt says I did something wrong, but shame says I am something wrong. Poverty tears you down and reminds you of your past failures. It kills your dreams, it darkens your vision, it destroys the future of its victims. It makes you feel less qualified. The spirit will make you think that you need to manipulate or use God to get what you need. You'll say things like, if I give this, then I will get. That's not God. Or you'll say things like, if I'm good, then I will prosper. If I do things right, then God will bless me. The last two are generational transfer of attitudes and expectation. You have thinking patterns that have continued from generation to generation. It's an inherited patterns of thought. So in other words, you, you don't even know any different. It's how your parents were, it's how your grandparents were, and so it's, it's become something that's inherited. And then rationalism of inappropriate behavior. There's always an excuse for why you do things wrong. It's never your fault. You blame people. You're a blame shifter. And those are some. Maybe you identify with some of them. Maybe you identify with all of them. Maybe one. But in, in any degree of it, we want to we get that out. Those aren't, it's not God. And so I want to show you a story in the Bible, 1 Kings 17, of where you can see, where you can see this pattern of thought in operation. 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, who is from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So Elijah's, uh, Elijah's telling him, there's a famine coming. Like, the economy's about to crash, is really what he's saying. It's, it's not going to be good. So then the Lord says to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So he tells Elijah this, in the middle of a famine, God says, okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to go here and I'm going to, I'm going to provide for you. Even in the middle of an economy crash, when the housing market goes down, when there's no toilet paper in the stores, God will provide for you. We got, we got to start thinking this. We got to start thinking this way that no matter what, nothing takes them by surprise. Like we said, when, when, when we were in worship, he sees you, not, not anything shocks him. God is my provider no matter what. No matter what, I don't need to worry. So he says to Elijah, I'm gonna provide for you, Elijah, this is what you're gonna do. Sometimes we need to go to God and be like, what's the strategy, God? 
What do I need to do? So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. See, in a poverty spirit would say, I must have did something wrong. God, God dried up the brook. He was providing, now he stopped. A poverty spirit would say that. Must not be good enough. I don't, I don't know. No. God had, a, God had a new strategy for him. God had a new place for him to go. I, I'm going to bless you over here and I'm going to bless someone else. So the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon, or Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Okay, notice that. He instructed the widow to feed him. He says, I have, go there, because I told a widow to feed you. Okay, just remember that. So he went to Zarephath, and he arrived at the gate of the village. He saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And she was going, as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook, his, to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said and make a little bread for me first. I used to think, what an arrogant guy this guy was, but now I see clearer. <laughs> then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always, oh, come on, there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. So, she never saw herself as a resource. Elijah says, first of all, God had told her to do it. That's what it says. He says, go, Elijah, I instructed a widow. So she already had this instruction in her heart. Elijah shows up and she's like, I don't got anything. She, like we, like we, like we read ahead about the characteristics, is she didn't see herself as a resource. I don't, I don't got anything. I don't have any bread. But she did. She had flour and oil. Poverty will make you focus on what you don't have instead of what you do have. And in turn, it will cause you to hoard it and be stingy when it's the very thing God was wanting to bless you with, bless you through. Then in verse 12, she says, I swear by the Lord your God, I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I'm going to gather a few sticks, cook this meal, and then we're going to die. Cause you to hold on to and close your hand. The spirit of poverty says that regardless of your present sufficiency, you have a compulsion to hold on to something to prevent future lack. 
her whole thought process was rooted in fear and not faith even though God had told her ahead of time and see there's sometimes God will show up and say this is what I want you to do and it's like inconceivable God like how how if I give this then I won't have enough if I do this then I won't have enough what what and it causes you to hoard or to hold on to because you're scared of the future remember poverty always comes alongside the spirit of fear fear means that there is seldom peace in your present and because you fear the future it eliminates your ability to be generous or to give and even if you do give you usually do it under guilt rather than joy and then she had no expectancy for the future she she had hopelessness what did she say me and my son we're gonna eat some food and then we're gonna die she wasn't hopeful so I'm gonna go through some things of how how we get out of this and I'm gonna tell you some very practical things first but then I'm gonna tell you ones that I, I think are the most important after so that it's fresh in your head before you leave one is is that we have to begin to renew our mind there is a way of thinking that we that we have that when we recognize wait a second I'm thinking through fear God is my provider God will provide God will provide God will provide cultivate patterns of giving and tithing based on faith not fear Elijah said to her don't be afraid go ahead and do just what you've said but make a little bread for me first A kingdom mindset is rooted in the fact that God is provider and always will be. So I give to him first. Faith connected to giving breaks the poverty spirit. Proverbs 11:24 says, "Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy, lose everything." Just like remember we talked about the Israelites, they they were hoarding and and what they were hoarding, what they were holding on to was spoiling. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will them themselves be refreshed. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in time of need. If you search for good, you will find favor, but if you search for evil, it will find you. Trust in your money and down you go. <laughs> but the godly flourish like leaves in spring. Another practical one is don't be lazy work work if you're not able to work there there's something that you can there's something that you can do to be fruitful what areas of my life need to be fruitful what areas of my life need to come under submission to God in Proverbs 6 verse 6 says take a lesson from the ants you lazy bones learn from their ways and become wise Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. 
then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Another one, acknowledge God. Acknowledge God. Acknowledge Him in everything that you do. Is this God? Is this what you want? If everything comes from you, then I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, is this what you want? And when you acknowledge Him, then obey Him. When He speaks, then obey Him. Job 36, 11 says, if they listen and obey God, they will be blessed with prosperity throughout their lives and their years will be pleasant. But if they refuse to listen to him, they will cross over the river of death, dying from their lack of understanding. Number six, exercise self-control. Proverbs 23, 20 says, do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons for they are on their way to poverty and too much sleep clothes them in rags. Understand that your past is not your future unless you allow it to be. It doesn't have to be the same way that it was. Now these last ones are ones that I, I want you to take with you. If, you if, you're, if you've got your phone or you've got a notepad, take, take notes on this because because if we've lived under a poverty spirit or a poverty mentality, it has become our way of thinking and we have to break that pattern of thought. And we have to expose where that thought came from and why we're thinking this way. So number one, expose the fear. What am I afraid of? Why? Why am I afraid of... of giving of my time, of giving of my mind. Why am I afraid? What am I scared of? When God asks me, when God asks me to give, what, what is it that's scaring me about this? Why am I afraid? Expose the fear. If you can't figure it out, ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? Holy Spirit, what is it? What's holding me back? And it could be, you know what? This is the way that has, this is what's been taught. You've been taught this your whole life. Or it could be that you went through a time where you, you, you did suffer, you did feel like it was incredible lack, or it could just be that you're terrified of the future and you've always trusted yourself to get yourself by and, and you don't actually trust God. Maybe your fear is that you don't even believe God's good. Expose the fear, expose the lie. That's the next one, expose the lie. What is the pain? Where is this lie coming from? Where's the lie that says, I can't trust God? What is that? Number three, discover who God says you are. Google it. <laughs> if you're like, I don't know, I don't know, then just Google it. Scriptures on who I am in Christ. Read them. <laughs> Who does God say I am? What does God think of me? It, it, at some point in time, and I'm not saying this to, to talk down to you because I struggled with reading the word of God myself because I liked prayer and scripture reading was boring to me. Now I love the scriptures. I love to read the Bible. And those of you that love to read the Bible are like, I don't understand. Why would you not love reading the Bible? 
But at some point in time, listen, reading the Word of God is part of your Christian life. You have to do it. It is life to you. It is life to you. And if you struggle reading it, I'm, I'm not saying that to condemn you. Read a scripture a day. Just start. Just start. Do, do what you can. If it doesn't make sense to you, there's so many different translations that you can read. Read it. Just read the word of God. Just purpose yourself. I can't do it. Okay, I'm going to open up one scripture a day. I'm going to read one chapter a day. Whatever it is, you must read the word of God. It is life to you. Okay. Discover who God says you are. In 1 Peter 2, it says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As you result, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Okay, next, envision yourself as God sees you. There's a kingdom principle that says, if I can envision it, I can have it. Proverbs 23 verse seven says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So as you begin to find out that I'm a son and a daughter, as you begin to look through the scriptures and find out what it is that God says, once you figure out what it is that God says, you envision yourself that way. Think about it. I'm a daughter, I'm a daughter. So if I'm a daughter, that means he absolutely adores me because I know that fathers adore, or they should, adore their daughters. A healthy father adores, adores their daughters. Fathers adore their kids. So if that's what it is, so then you envision yourself that way. If he says that I am royalty, then I look like a princess. Come on, you may think that that's, you may think, oh, that's weird, that's weird. Well, some of you are envisioning yourself as poor. Some of you envision yourself as not enough. Some of you envision yourself as less than everybody else around you. You're envisioning something and it's becoming who you are. Recount your past sins and failures that still trouble you and ask Jesus to forgive you. I'm not saying live in regret every single day. I'm saying if there are sins in your life that just keep coming back and bothering you and plaguing you, don't forget you did this. Don't forget you did that. Ask Jesus to forgive you. It, then it's covered, guys. It's done. You don't need to keep going back and going back and going back over it. Because remember, shame. Ask Jesus, this is the next one, ask Jesus to show you your sins or your failures from his perspective. So there was, there was a sin in my life that, that I had um, gone through and I had asked for forgiveness and I knew I was forgiven. Like I knew I was forgiven. You didn't even have to, it, it wasn't a question for me, I knew. 
but it kept coming back and and I, I just would I would be doing things and I would think about it and then I would just like try to confess the word like no I'm forgiven no I'm forgiven I'm forgiven I'm forgiven I know I'm forgiven and I would push it down I would push it down I would push it down and one day God said um, I want to talk to you about that I'm like I'm forgiven I'm forgiven and he's like yeah but you hate yourself you don't forgive you and I was like oh yeah maybe that's the truth and so he said I actually want to talk about that with you I want to work through the shame of that with you because that shame has caused you to hurt yourself and so to hate yourself and so often what happens is, is we're like, yeah, I'm forgiven, but we actually don't forgive ourselves. And so it's super important that, yes, you, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. But then also give me perspective of how you see me. How do you see me? How do you see those failures? What's your perspective on it? And so I began to walk with God and he began to show me things that I thought and how it was connected to past things of, 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 of how it was becoming my identity, like how the enemy got in there, like, see, I told you you'd end up like this. Lies from the past that were haunting me all through this one thing. Jesus wants to talk to you through that. I'm almost finished. Ask Jesus if there are actions you need to take to clean up your mess or to bring closure to your life and then take action. For me, he said, I want you to write it all out. All of it. I want you to write it all down. And I didn't want to. It's like, oh God, I don't, I don't want to relive. I, I don't want to, no, write it all out. And so I, I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I'd stop and I'd say, no, and God say, nope, that too. And I'd write and I'd write and I'd write. And I got to the end of the story and I said, now what? And he said, that's all. You're done. And I never lived in guilt or shame of that again. He knows. He knows exactly. So ask him, okay, this is what's bothering me. Is there anything that I need to work through? Or maybe it's you need to go ask someone for forgiveness. Whatever it is, do it. He knows what you need to do to get free. Develop a vetting system for what you allow yourself to listen to and think about. Watch what you're watching. Watch what you're listening to. Watch what you put yourself around. Mark 4.24 says, So consider carefully the things you are hearing. If you put it to use, you will be given more to wrestle with much more when you choose to entertain certain kinds of thoughts maybe worry or fear you invite other worriers other people who fear watch over your heart with all diligence and every thought that comes in remember the bible says um, hold every thought captive watch what am I thinking about? What am I allowing in? Because remember, this has become our way of thinking. This, this poverty thinking has become our way of thinking. So I'm stopping every thought. Wait a second. That doesn't line up with the kingdom. That doesn't line up. God is my provider. I don't need to worry. I, I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about. I'm not worrying about tomorrow. I'm not going to fear the future. That's not my way of thinking anymore. Renewing your mind. 
Here's the last two. Make a list of the five most profound things that Jesus says about you and memorize them. So what you're going to do when you leave here today, and I challenge you with this, you're going to take a piece of paper and you're going to sit down and you're going to close your eyes and you're going to say, Father, what do you think of me? Five things. What do you think of me? And you're going to sit there and you're going to listen. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're going to think it's dumb. And sometimes I do that, right? Where he's like, I love you. I made that up. Who cares? It lines up with the word, okay? Just start writing. Five things. What is it? What do you say about me? How do you see me when you look at me? I think you're adorable. Okay, I'm adorable. I think you're brilliant. I'm brilliant. I think you're kind. I am kind. And you're going to write those things down and then this is what you're going to do. You're going to ask yourself, after you have those five things, you're going to ask yourself how someone who has those five attributes that God said you have, how do they think? How do they talk? How do they behave? How do they dream? If someone who is adored by God, how do they think? How does someone who is absolutely adored by God, how do they behave? How does someone who is kind, how do they walk? How do they, how do they talk? If that's how God sees me, how, does that, how do I look when I do that? And you're going to envision yourself like that. You're going to dream about that. And then you begin to act like that. Nothing is quite so affirming and confidence building as acting out your God thoughts instead of your feelings. You may feel opposite of what God says, but what God says is truth. And don't let your mind tell you it isn't truth, because it will. I'm promising you right now, you're going to read that and you're going to think, I made that up because it's how I want to feel. Don't let your mind get in the way of this. Your feelings, although they are important, are great servants, but terrible masters. So give yourself to this process. If you have spent your life with a poverty mentality, then thinking and acting differently may not feel real or authentic at first. It may not feel real. You can feel like oh, I'm acting. This is weird. This isn't how I actually am. No, it is actually how you are because it's who God says you are. You've actually been acting contrary to what God says. And so I encourage you to give yourself to this process because I believe that God wants us free from this. To be able to see that, wait a second, I am absolutely loved and seen and I have purpose and I can have hope because there's a father in heaven who's my father and he's watching over me and he's thinking about me and he sings about me and he talks about me. He talks to Jesus about me. Jesus talks to That's one time I wrote that Jesus says, you know, the father and I love to talk about you. That's what, that's what he said to me. The father and I love to talk about you. We get a real kick out of you. 
that's real. And God has some things that he wants to say to you. And so, Father, I pray over every person here today, Father. And we just acknowledge you are the most amazing Father who desires your children to walk in freedom, to be free, to walk in liberty. And so, Father, I just release this process over every person here. I thank you that they have ears to hear clearly what the Spirit of God says. I speak to the spirit of doubt and I say, you will not, you will not, you will not have a say, you will not have a voice in this in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that as they begin to dig deep, as they begin to go through the process, that there are things that open up on the inside of them that are so big and so grand that the the dreams and the purposes and the plans that they have stuffed away because they thought that they weren't good enough, that they thought that they wouldn't make it, become alive again as the Spirit of God begins to breathe on it. And that, Father, that they would begin to align themselves with who you actually say that they are. Align themselves with the truth and begin to walk in it. Father, I thank you that you are aligning our thoughts with yours. That we would begin to see you as our provider. The God that cares for us. The God that takes care of us every moment of every every moment of every day. And just like you sent ravens to feed Elijah, you take care of us then too. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.